Let's take a moment and read the scripture on which today's uh, teaching is based. It comes from Jonah chapter 1, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And this is God's word. The past quarter, we've been looking at the core values of Metro. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on what it means to embrace the city We're not just talking about the restaurants, and we're not just talking about the parks. We're talking about the whole of the city, including its brokenness, including its poverty, including its needs for social justice, including its need for a great compassion that's greater than a worldly compassion uh, than anybody can just muster up on their own. And I'm going to set you up by looking at this passage. We're going to look at the book of Jonah briefly And we're going to begin with this passage because the book of Jonah teaches us about God's amazing heart for the city. Now, Jonah was a prophet, and he was a prophet called by God to preach to a people called the Assyrians. They were the most powerful empire in the world to date, to preach to the Assyrians in their capital city of Nineveh. And we're going to learn three things from this. It all comes from the boat, the storm, and the fish. The boat, the storm, and the fish. We're going to look first at the boat. Verse 1, God calls the Assyrians, this people, a wicked people. And in verse 5, you have these sailors, these pagan sailors. They're crying out to their own gods. Both the Assyrians and these pagan sailors, they don't know God. 
So the only person who truly gets God in this passage is who? It's Jonah. But who is the sinful person that the author is focusing on really in this passage? It's Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. And that teaches us that sin is much more nuanced than you think. In verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's the Bible's technical way of saying that Jonah was a prophet. That means he was called by God. He's a religious person, in other words. He's a good person. And yet, the entire book is really about Jonah's resistance to God's love, Jonah's resistance to God's calling. And so that should immediately tell us that sin is much more complex, much more nuanced than just about being bad or doing bad things because it's so much more subtle and hidden. It's so much more destructive. It's destructive because it's hidden. Sin is under the skin. Sin is subterranean. It's got layers in the skin. And in this passage, we're going to see three distinct layers here. We're going to see the outside, we're going to see the inside, and we're going to see the core. Because it begins at the core and works its way outside. On the outside, sin is what? It's disobedience to God. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is northeast from where Jonah is. But Jonah heads directly southwest to Joppa. He literally goes in the opposite direction, and he boards the ship and heads west to Tarshish. What is sin? Sin is a visible, active, outward running away from God. But it goes deeper than that. It goes inner. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Throughout the Bible, God's word is dynamic. What that means is it's got creation power. God's word is creation power. So when God says, let there be light, what happens? Light happens. There was light. So the prophets always begin with, the word of the Lord came to me. And they always end with, thus saith the Lord. Because buffeted as a, as a bookend, you see God's word having creation power, having dynamic power and influence, but not in Jonah. God's word comes to Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh. And he runs. He ran. In other words, sin is more than just outwardly rebelling against God. We outwardly run from God because on the inside, we're avoiding what God has called us to be. God is, God is thus saith the Lord. God is calling you to something. And inwardly, we're resistant. We're resisting what we were meant to be, what we're designed to do. Sin is a refusal to live the way you were designed to live, to live the way you were called to live. Jonah, because he didn't trust God, that, that God had his good in mind, why we all take matters in our own hands, because we, there's a, at the core, and now we're going into the deepest part, at the core, there is a distrust of God. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they, were, they had a calling. They were called to obey. But when the serpent tempts Eve, it's not just about eating a fruit. The text says Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was good. In other words, Eve distrusted God. Why would God withhold this good thing, something good from me? You must not be out for my good. That's the essence of sin. Sin is telling the creator. Sin is telling God, you are holding back from me. 
Sin is telling the king. Sin is telling God, I'm going to make my own rules. And so verse 3, God calls Jonah. Jonah flees. Now think, Jonah's a prophet. Jonah is a religious person. Jonah knows God. Jonah knows that God is omnipresent. So why would he run? I mean, he knows God is everywhere. Why would he run? And here's the answer. It's because he's not just running geographically from God. He's running relationally from God. Now, pastor, where does it really say that? Verse 3 says, Jonah ran away from the Lord. But in Hebrew, what it actually reads is, Jonah ran away from the face of the Lord. Why is that important? Because throughout the Bible, to see God's face It's more than a physical, locational, geographical thing. To seek God's face is to to say that I want to be intimate with you. I want to really know you. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. Why does a psalmist say that? Because the ancients knew you don't go to God for the blessing. The presence of God is the blessing. Now, we know about intimacy. We know all about that. We say, get out of my face. What are we saying? I don't want to be near you. I don't want to be close to you right now. I don't want to know you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to be intimate with you. It's not a geographical thing. It's a relational thing. And if intimacy is the blessing, then the lack of intimacy is the curse. So to run from the face of God is to run from the intimate presence of God It's to run from the blessing that is God himself, and you are inviting then brokenness and misery. Jonah's physical distancing, it represents a spiritual distancing, and the Bible always teaches when you do that, it always leads to brokenness and misery. Verse three, he goes down to Joppa, then he goes goes and boards a ship. The actual Hebrew, it says, Jonah goes down to Joppa, and then he goes down onto a ship, and verse four, there's a storm, but where's Jonah? Jonah goes to the lower deck. He goes down below the deck where he lays down, and then he goes to sleep. He literally goes down. So what he's doing is, if God is the God of heaven, Jonah is going down. If God is the God of heaven, Jonah's going down, and then down, and then down, and then down, and then down. He's literally getting as far away from God. He's trying to disconnect from God as much as possible. You see, sin at the core is avoiding intimacy with God because you don't trust God. And so it's not enough. It's, you can't just apologize for your act of sin because it's so much more nuanced than that. It's so much deeper than that. Sin is about a hidden pride. It's about a hidden anger, hidden desires, hidden agendas that were not fulfilled. And it's corrosive to the soul, and it makes it go down and down and down and down and down. Keep in mind, Jonah is not a non-believer. Jonah is not somebody who doesn't know who God is. Jonah is a prophet, which makes him a leader of God's people. That means that you can be in church all your life, follow all the rules, lead other people, even preach, and yet be miserable and broken like a fool. That's what it means. Verse four, there's a storm. Why the storm? Storms mean that there's been something brewing for a long time and it's finally become visible. It's finally come out in a rage. Look, we're in a season like we've never experienced before. There's tons of confusion. There's tons of fragmentation. Society is completely divided. And there's a lot of people who are discontent about where we are and where we're headed. And so as a result, they're just checking out. 
they're disconnecting, they're isolated, and they're starting to go off on their own. And they're breaking things. They're breaking relationships, breaking families, work, their own bodies. Let this season mark the beginning of a return to the Lord because God is always in pursuit of his people. How does God bring Jonah back? That's the second point, it's the storm. For most people, we look at the storm as punishment. We look at it as God must be punishing me for something I did wrong. But think about this, if that was the case, Jonah would never have made it out of chapter one. God is so compassionate, God is so gracious to intrude into our lives. You ever experienced that? God intruding into your life? You were doing just great on your own, apart from God, not thinking about not God, not praying to God, not being intimate with God, not going to church, not being intimate with people in the church. You were doing just great, and then there's an intrusion into your life. And in the beginning, you don't even realize it's God intruding, but God in his compassion and his grace intrudes. How do we often respond to trials in our lives? How do we often respond to storms? Well, we tend to blame other people, or we tend to blame ourselves. We're like, oh, I was so stupid. Why did I do that? I should have known better. Or we blame the world. We blame God himself. But you take any one of those roads, and it leads to what? Brokenness, misery, alienation, anger, self-pity. That's the brokenness and misery. But while Jonah was down, while he was asleep, trying to increase his distance from God, God is working to decrease that distance. And so there's this big storm. And in verse five, the sailors, they're all crying out to their own gods. They're terrified. Why? Why are they terrified? Because if you don't know the God of the Bible, you know in your just core of your being, you are alone in this world. If you're just a bunch of atoms, that randomly, randomly collided to become molecules, and those molecules randomly collided to become organs, and organs to become organisms, you are alone, and when you are dead, you are alone. You see? The captain, these guys, they're crying out. The captain goes to Jonah. He wakes him and tells him, cry out to your own God. And right there, Jonah starts to get it. He remembers the call. He starts to wake up. He literally is waking up. What's the meaning of a storm? Storms in our lives reveal what you cling to for life. If there's a storm, storms will reveal what you go to, what you cling to as your life raft. That's your real God. That's your functional God, what the Bible often calls an idol. Storms reveal, one, how powerless you are. There's, there's nothing and no single person that can overpower a storm by himself. Yet storms also reveal what you really believe will save you, what you really believe is your source of rescue because we're all swimming in a sea of uncertainty. We got the election, the job market is terrible, crumbling, the stock market has tumbled. People are afraid for their health. They're closed in, isolated, separated, and divided. And most people in that context, they're still working super hard to build their life raft. That life raft could be your wealth. You're looking at the future, a glorious future of a wonderful 401k in your life. You're looking for a good life for your children, a special relationship that's going to make everything okay. But really, is it? Think about it. They're all inadequate. There is no insurance policy in the world that can prevent death. There is no insurance policy in the world that can prevent illness or brokenness in your life. But what do we turn? 
What do we turn to to shield us from these storms of life? These are our lifeboats. These are our idols. By the way, that's why many of us live in the city. We say we love the city for what the city tends to offer us. The city tends to, the city is an accelerator for us building our life rafts because the city offers jobs. The city offers wealth, wealth potential. The city offers relationship building, status building. These are all things that we tend to claim as our lifeboats. And in a sense, we exploit the city. We don't love the city. We exploit the city to build ourselves. We don't really love the city. Storms reveal how weak we are, how inadequate these life rafts really are, and the trail of brokenness that we often leave as we try to continue to build our own life rafts. And those life rafts are inadequate against the real storms of life because real storms, the real storms, if you think about it, sickness, illness, aging, loss, death, no amount of money, no relationship, no beauty or youth will protect you from losing the things that really matter to you in your life. Jonah's thinking, God has failed me. He's the only prophet that was called to preach to a people that were not his own. God has failed me. I deserve better. I earned better. And so he's drowning in a sea of sin. Where is his help? And the last point then is the fish. In verses seven and nine, now I want to tell you, growing up, I thought the fish was punishment. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I felt like the fish was punishment growing up, that God sent a fish to punish Jonah, you know, so he's swimming in his fish guts, you know, um, because he did something wrong because he was running away. But I've learned growing up and studying the word that is so much greater than that. It's definitely not God's punishment. It's God's grace. Verses seven to nine, the sailors asked Jonah, who are you? And Jonah responds, I worship the Lord. Why? Because he knows his conscience is starting to stir. It's acting up. The sailors ask, what should we do? Verses 11, 12, Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. In other words, I will not let you die because of the wrath I deserve. In other words, Jonah is surrendering to the Lord now. He's given up the battle. He stopped resisting. I surrender. You got me. Throughout the Bible, the sea, the waters, the storm, these are all representative of the uncontrollable mystery of the world. So you always see in Scripture the Leviathan that resides in the depths of the sea. In Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God hovering over the water in the beginning, right? The earth was vast and void and empty, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. You see? this enigmatic, uncontrollable force, synonymous with the wrath of God. And Jonah is saying, I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of God because he found me. Before he went down away from God, now he's saying, I'm gonna go even deeper because I'm surrendering to God. The first type of going down, it brings brokenness and misery, but the second type, it leads to salvation. It wasn't until Jonah surrendered and realized that he's been looking for control in his life and power in his life and identity while running away from true control, true power, true identity. It wasn't until he gave up control like this when he started to experience and see real control and real poise in his life. What happens to Jonah? The fish comes. The fish is a reminder that God saves him not because of any good that Jonah has done. God saves him not on the basis of Jonah's merit, but in spite of Jonah's merit. Remember, Jonah's not looking for God. He's not repenting to God right now. He's not praying to God. 
He's not thanking God. He's running from God. And yet God sends a fish in the midst of a storm where Jonah is drowning in the sea, a sea of sin and uncertainty and death to bring Jonah back, not on the basis of Jonah's commitment to God, but on the basis of God's commitment to Jonah. He saves him. He saves him. Even though Jonah was running far from God, God never let Jonah go. That's the faithfulness of God. He's so committed to his people. The sailors, they got the calm because Jonah got the storm. How do we find calm? How do we find calm in the midst of our storms? Matthew chapter 12, you got the Pharisees. They're the religious people. They go to Jesus and they say, I wanna see, we wanna see a miracle. And Jesus says, none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was for three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What does that mean? What Jesus Christ is saying is, I am the sign of Jonah. I am a greater Jonah. Because God called Jesus and said, I want you to go to a wicked people. And Jesus doesn't turn away from God. Jesus doesn't resist God. He obeys. And he doesn't obey at the risk of his life. He obeys at the cost of his life. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is in a boat. He's with some sailors. They're his disciples. And a furious storm hits. And the disciples, they're all crying out to Jesus. So They're all crying out to God. They say, save us. We're going to drown. What is Jesus doing? He was down. He was sleeping. But he gets up. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the waves. And the sea grows calm. Jonah, like Jesus, Jesus, like Jonah, was sleeping. Jonah's sleeping because he's running from God. But Jesus, he's sleeping because he's so connected, so intimate with God. And that gave him poise. It gave him an otherworldly poise in the midst of the storm. Look at the poise of Jesus in the storm. Look at the strength and the power and the calm of Jesus in the storm. Jonah, he went down because of sin. But Jesus, he also goes down. In John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He came to that which was his own. In other words, Jesus Christ came down. God called Jesus and he obeyed. And he came, he, he, didn't, he didn't bring judgment and wrath to sinners, but he came to absorb judgment and wrath. The judgment and wrath of sinners. Why was he so poised? I mean, on the boat, on the boat, he just wakes up and he calms the storm. Why was he so poised? Because what he's, really, he's looking at the storm, he's saying, this is no storm. Jesus walked on the water. The spirit of God is hovering over the waters. There's complete control, complete control. He says, this is no storm. I'm gonna show you a real storm. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, throw me overboard. 